Hello and welcome. Thanks for joining. I'm your host, Seth Haskin. I started this podcast to dive deeper into the ways we know each other and God. The goal is to ask the question of how God loves, or better yet, why God loves. I invite people from many walks of life to join me on this adventure. As we dive deeper into personifying God, we have to bring him into our three-dimensional world, but also understand that he cannot be understood all the way, and thus is in a state of the fourth dimension. I'd love to welcome and thank our guest today. She is an associate professor of, and director of well-being at Bethel University with a Bachelor of Arts in Psychology from Bethel College, a Master's in Marriage and Family Therapy from North American Baptist University, and a Doctorate in Ministry from Bethel Seminary. She is also a licensed marriage and family therapist. Welcome, Dr. Christine Osgood. Tell us about yourself. Seth, thanks so much for having me um, tonight. This is fun to be able to just sit and be able to talk about these things. Um, I think when people ask me to tell them about myself, I think the things that I would like them to know have to do with how I like to be and the type of person that I like to be. And so um, instead of what I do, and so I'm the type of person that likes to be in connection with others. I like to be someone who is hopefully generative in this world and providing things that are helpful for other humans. I like to be someone who's congruent. I like to be someone who is actually full of integrity. And I find all of these things actually really challenging to consistently be throughout my adult life. But those are some of the things that I like to be about. Exciting. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thank you for introducing yourself and you like to be. Yes. To be known and to know, I'm guessing. Uh, Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Actually, yes. But that's much harder, isn't it? Yes. To know and be known. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it's easier to know other people than to actually be known by others. Mm -hmm. So... I'm noticing that my uh, turtleneck is causing a lot of reverb on the the um, headphones, so I'm sorry that I keep bumping into it. It's all good. We'll I don't see hear how anything. It goes tonight. <laughs> the turtleneck is all good. Good, all right. wonderful. So my first question is: As a marriage and family therapist, what do you do exactly? Mm, that's such a great question. So ideally, in the world of marriage and family therapy you're able to sit with people and explore the system that they come from. Not just them as an individual person, but them as part of a larger system. And then you can ask questions about how is that larger system influencing the individual and how is the individual influencing the system? And the times where it gets really fun is when you have more than one person in the room. So there's more than one person talking about the system that they're a part of. And then you get to hear the stories of how the system is functioning well, or maybe where the system is getting a little stuck. Maybe where the system, I, had, I hate to say is broken. I think a better word is, yeah, it's just stuck in a pattern that actually is not conducive to the health and wholeness of the people inside the system. So that as a marriage and family therapist, you get to sit there and you get to wonder and dream with the people in the room about how could things maybe be different and uh, what resources do they have within themselves and between one another to actually try and help things become a little bit more whole for them. And so that's part of the beauty of marriage and family therapy is that you're oftentimes talking about people in relationship with one another as opposed to um, some therapists uh, stay really focused on what is the issue, what is the, quote, problem, and how can we fix that? And um, in marriage and family therapy, you know, we are trying to make things uh, better for people but um, there's usually a lot more nuance and dance um, in that context. So, yeah, dancing. <laughs> I love that reference to like thinking about a family, like a ballroom dance. You got to switch partners. And- you got to switch, and sometimes you switch partners even if you don't want to switch partners. And like the music changes, and all of a sudden you are engaged in a very different dance than um, what you were just dancing even a few minutes earlier. And so um, you got to be nimble and you got to be light on your feet in order to be able to function well in a family system. No digging your heels into the (laughs) ground. Otherwise, you're not moving. That's exactly it. And I feel like a lot of people actually dig their heels into the ground. And that's where some of that stuckness comes in where, um, yeah, we might need to start dancing again in a way that is more conducive to everybody's health and wholeness. Yes, yes. Well, it's very interesting to like hear the ins and outs of Mm. a family therapist because I feel like, 
therapy has the stigma. Right. And yeah. it's just like, if I go to therapy, that means there's something wrong and I don't want anything to be wrong. I want it to be like, oh, it's fine. I don't want to go. Yeah. But it's just like therapy is so helpful. God gave us people oh to goodness. understand other people's minds yes, so that yes. we can have better relationships, which is what this podcast is about. So I'm very excited to have you on well, the show. And if you think about it, that a therapist is not something that's negative to go to, but it's like mm -hmm. it's like a professional coach. And so if you are wanting to learn any other skill set in the world, you go to a coach or you go to a teacher who is like, you know, I've traveled in this arena a little bit. And these are some things that are really helpful. And so in other facets of our life, we're like, sign me up for the coach, sign me up for the mentor, sign me up for whatever so I can learn about this. But then in therapy, uh, to go to the professional coaches who have been trained on people, uh, there, there sometimes is that stigma. I personally think everybody should have a therapist. Not necessarily that you walk with every single week or month of your life, but like for seasons. And so I've had my own, I've gone to my own therapy for seasons of my life where I'm just like, dang, I just want someone else to be part of my journey right now because I feel stuck. And I want to be able to see things from a different lens or a different perspective. So, yeah, whatever we can do to just, like, normalize therapy, I think that would be great. Yeah, it just reminds me of uh, something I heard before. Sometimes uh, the best people to go to when it comes to, like, a game plan is a coach. Exactly. Because that's what they're looking for. And sometimes yeah. it's so hard to be a player mm -hmm. and, like, look at yourself from the third perspective. Exactly. And so it's always nice to hear that outside perspective. I've heard um, a new therapy technique actually is speaking in the third person in a relationship. Mm -hmm. So you start saying, instead of saying, well, my wife and I, you say, well, Seth and blah, 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 whatever her name is or yeah. whatever. You, you use that third person to give yourself a rewiring in the brain of like, well, if somebody was coming to me about this, how would I approach this instead of thinking about myself? Yeah, and you, you know, know what that does is it puts this beautiful distance in between the person and whatever situation it is that they're talking about. And so then it's not so much I feel stuck, it's Seth is stuck in this moment in time. And then Seth, can you actually even coach Seth mm -hmm. when Seth is able to do that metacognitive practice of like actually thinking about what's going on inside of Seth? Exactly, exactly. I'm just loving it, Seth, <laughs> that you have taken well-being because we are yes. using lingo from class. Oh, and for those out there who don't know what well-being is, it is a class at Bethel that is a general ed. Um, so I think everyone has to take it, right? Almost everybody does. We have some a few exceptions, but yeah. Some transfer exceptions. Exactly. Yeah, but yep. everyone at Bethel basically has to take well-being. And it's like oh. this multifaceted course where you just learn about like – well-being. <laughs> I don't know how else to put it. You know, it's just like the systems that make us motivated to do things, the things yeah. that don't make us motivated. And you just learn a whole bunch from like simple neuroscience yes. to just like meditation practices, spiritual yes. disciplines, and a whole lot of other things. Intrapersonal, uh, extra, uh, like extrovertism, introvertism, you know, it's just... Oh. So much. I really enjoyed it. So Seth, I love it. And I know that the word on the street is that some people really don't like the class. But I also know that actually um, in the quietness of individual conversations, people talk a lot about how helpful it is to learn this stuff so they can name it and they can go, okay, I'm, I, I'm okay. Like this is an actual thing that I'm navigating. And so it's so funny to talk with students because like the cool thing is to say, oh, that's such a, I can't believe we have to take that gen ed. It's like, oh, it's oh. winter, the snow, it's so cold. Exactly. But if we start speaking about it positively, then the ideas might change. Right. And actually that happens a lot. Mm -hmm. There's a number of students that leave this place and they literally will email me after they come back and they're like, I can't even tell you how much I'm using this material because now it's actually starting to make sense. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I have to say I love it that you're using some of the jargon. So anyway. <laughs> yes. Well, the jargon is there for a reason. Yes. I always love using any type of jargon I can get my mind around <laughs> yes. because names to me, like naming something is like putting handles on something that's not tangible. Right. It's exactly. giving you something tangible to like talk about yes. and describe. And it's very helpful for me because I'm a very like, 
tangible person. I want something to be here so that I can understand it, manipulate it in a way, you know. Yes, you work know, with it, play with it. Work with it, work with it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And if we can't name those things, we can't work with it. We can't mm-hmm. play with it. So it's good that's to name That's the beauty stuff. of language. You it just is. make up words and you just <laughs> attach an idea to it and it takes off. Oh, my gosh. Starts yes. as a wheel, turns into a bicycle. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so. Well, not to get all serious on you, but... Uh, kind of like we're created in the image of a divine being that speaks and things come into existence. Whoa, whoa, no. You're jumping ahead. (laughs) I know, I know, but we got some good stuff here to talk about tonight. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, my goodness, yes. Uh, So, as we said, you run the well-being program here at Bethel. Yep. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Tell us exactly what it is, because I gave my variation, but what what do you use to describe what the well-being program is at Bethel? Sure, great question. So there's, it's actually multifaceted. A portion of the well-being program at Bethel is this general education course, mm-hmm. uh, helping incoming students kind of get their minds wrapped around six different aspects of life that dynamically influence their well-being. And, um, but that's just one piece of what I do. A whole other half of my job is um, working with actually the system of Bethel and seeing how does the system of Bethel impact employees and how do employees um, like thrive or not in the midst of the system of Bethel. And so um, I love that part of my job because it, it takes um, it like takes all the well-being material and multiplies it by a hundred. And when you start working with macro level systems and you start seeing how systems, influence humans on an individual but also an interpersonal level you start to realize the health of the systems that you function within dynamically impacts the essence of who you are and so there's this like bi-directional nature like who we are as individuals it definitely impacts the systems that we're a part of but the system the big systems that we're a part of like think families but then go beyond it think like communities think like cities think nations all of society these, exactly it's a system those systems influence us on an individual and interpersonal level so uh, part half of my job here is taking a look at employees and going how are you guys doing what do you guys need? What resources do you need? And um, for my fr- the first uh, five years that I was doing this role, it was a lot of like uh, resourcing individual employees. Now, though, um, in this last year with um, President Allen coming in, he has asked me to do a lot of just like critical reflection on the overall system of Bethel and wondering what's great about it and what actually could use some refinement so that our employees can flourish here. And so that I love. It's a great part of my job. So now I'm talking to, I'm, I'm using the word I a lot, but I don't function as an independent entity. Yeah. So I just want to highlight and have a shout out to everybody who's involved in this with me. So on the general education side, I've got an amazing teaching team that I work with, and we co create and co labor over that course and that course curriculum always revising and refining it. We're on the ninth edition of this class, and that is due in large part to the amazing team of faculty that I work with. Then on the um, initiative side, where I'm working with the employees, I have worked with well over 25 different people to be able to bring resources to our community, and currently I have a team of 18 that are working on these systems issues here at Bethel with me. And so these folks are wonderful co-laborers with me, and literally we could not get anything done at this place, well-being-wise, without all of these different people being involved. So I say I, but it's really we. Yeah. <laughs> There's a theme here, Seth. There it's always going to keep coming back to relationship tonight. It I just mean, is. If we're going to talk about God and love, we're going to have to talk about we. Exactly. And that's the basis of this podcast is we, and it's yeah. not just God and I, you and I, but like everyone. Yeah. Holy Spirit, everyone. You know, just like it's everyone. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how else to put it. So uh, with all the information you have as a marriage and family therapist and a well-being educator at Bethel, I want to ask some questions about your faith and your relationships because you already kind of alluded to this. Like sure. we've already got into it already. We just we're, jumped we're right going. into we're it. We're going. Exactly. Here we go. <laughs> uh, so my first question is to you. What comes to mind when you hear the word relationship and how does that interpret your daily interactions with others? 
Mm, when I saw your questions, I just was like, oh, this guy's asking great questions. All right, so let's break it apart. Let's do the first one first. Mm-hmm. Can you say that one again, just the first yes, half? Definitely. Um, what comes to mind when you hear the word relationship? Mm. When I hear the word relationship, I think of invitation. An invitation for two humans or a group of humans um, to become no, to recognize how they are interconnected with one another and to respect that space. There is, um, there's a phrase that I absolutely love um, called the space between us. When I think of relationship, I often think about how individuals are interconnected with one another. And you can spend a lot of time thinking about how does one person impact the other person and vice versa and look at the bidirectional nature of that. But there is actually something really profound, literally in the space between people as well. It's like a third person. It is. And it, we have to pay attention to both people involved or every human involved, but then also pay attention to the space between those humans and what's happening in that space between them. If we lose sight of the space between, we actually lose sight of what is influencing the dynamics of relationship. And so um, I love the word relationship because it invites us into recognizing um, we're not functioning alone and we've got to actually like invest in not only the other humans around us, but in the space between us. Wonderful. I love it. Especially coming from a marriage and family counselor. (laughs) It's just like, I'm sure you've had plenty of people where you interview the husband separately, then you interview the wife separately. Totally individuals, right? Yep. Then you bring them in the same room and you feel like there's a third person. Oh my goodness. It's like totally different. Yes. (laughs) It is is more than the sum of the parts. Mm -hmm. There's something else that is present in that space and you have to pay attention to that. You got to, especially if you're in your profession, you got to make sure that. Okay, Seth, I got to ask though, your eyes are lighting up and you are speaking. You're not just affirming what I'm saying and being kind and nice. It's almost as if you have experienced that space between people. And so I just, I'm sorry to turn the tables, but I'm kind of curious. Have you ever experienced uh, what I'm talking about? And is that why your eyes lit up? You, You spoke from a place of knowing. Um, (laughs) so I have, okay, since senior year of high school, really, Mm -hmm. I think all my life leading up to the senior year of high school, relationships have always been in the background of who I was, Uh like seeing who I'm connected to friends, whatever, whatever. But senior year, just something like went off in my head. I don't know what it was, maybe a God moment, but, um, it was just like, what are relationships? Like, how do we understand relationships? And I just like got into this question of who we are as people and who we are as the church, especially. Mm-hmm. And then it really took off freshman year. Well-being was, I loved it. Yay. I just loved learning about it. So I am a well-being fanatic out Yay. there. <laughs> um, but it was, I had, um, oh my goodness, what was my teacher's name? It was close to yours. Started with a C. Uh, Dr. Santani. Yes. I had her. She was amazing. Um, and just like learning about all, I love looking at everything as a whole and that's what well-being does. It yes. takes parts, puts them together. Yeah. Um, you know, mind, body, spirit type thing. And then after that, I just kind of got into it more and more and more and more and more. Yes. And then I started reading. We want it to be the launch pad for deeper <laughs> reflection. Yes. <laughs> and then I got into books. Like I started reading, um, uh, about vulnerability, uh, yeah. Bernie Brown, oh, a whole bunch yes, of stuff. I yes. read a book called The Science of Shame by Gerald Fishkin. Yes. Um, oh. I don't know if you've ever heard of that book. Very good read, very easy read, but uh-huh. like it fills so much information. Yes. Um, he describes the difference between shame and guilt, and it's just amazing. Oh. And then I started, I found someone else through a TED Talk. Her name is Shasta Nelson. Okay. Uh, what you know did you who, like about Shasta? She just was very passionate about what she did uh-huh. first off if you're gonna sell someone on something <laughs> you gotta, you gotta be, be, be passionate yourself. you exactly. can't be like oh relationships yeah they're yeah. great no she was just like relationships let's 
dig into them. And then she yes. cur- she just came up with really good visuals. Yeah. She has this triangle called the frontimacy triangle. The base is positivity because you have to have positivity to even start a relationship. Oh if there's gosh. negativity, you don't want to be around it. Right. Then she says the next p- component is consistency. Mm. Like if you just have positivity, but you don't have consistency, that's just a stranger passing by. Right. And then she right. said the third part of the triangle is vulnerability because mm. you can be positive and consistent, but without any vulnerability, there's no deepening of the relationship. And she wrote a book, right. a couple of books, three books that I know of thus far. Uh, her first book was Friendships Don't Just Happen. Mm. Great read. Love oh, it. And goodness, I just yes. love how she's um, using don't just happen because people are like, oh, It'll just happen. And it's just like, no, relationships are more than that. And so, and then she wrote Frentimacy. Absolutely fell in love with the book. She combined intimacy and friends together. Yes. And she just talks about like the ways in which we go about our lives thinking about friendships and how come some end, some last forever. And she just tackles that. And then she has a third book. um, I don't remember the title, but it's about friendships in the workplace specifically oh, yeah uh-huh. so that might be an interest of actually to you. that would be very interesting yeah, i'll get it to you I after do, the podcast. i would love that and i do have to say i also like her second book um because so many people miss um define the word intimacy mm-hmm. and they make it about uh something other than <laughs> you could just say the word <laughs> something sexual <laughs> yes. and um in reality friendships that are intimate with one another in the true sense of intimacy like deep connection where there's a knowing and being known um that i mean those kind of friendships last are, a lifetime they do till the grave and they're gold they're absolute gold. Aristotle would describe oh. them as friends of virtue oh, or virtuous friends. Yes. So it's like yes. you only have a certain amount of those in life and they just <gasps> last forever. So, they are, But oh, as it. through this journey, it was just like digging deeper, digging deeper. Then I was like, wait, I'm so focused on like relationships between myself and others. Mm. Now, what can I, how can I take this knowledge that I know about relationships with people and apply it to relationship with God, because mm. I feel like a yeah. lot of times we're always focused on earthly relationships, yeah. and God is this relationship that we have, but we don't attribute to the same ideas of earthly yeah. relationships. And I feel like everything we study here on earth can always be pointed back to God. Yeah. So if we're studying relationships, how we act around others, and like learned uh, behavior and everything like that, how can that point back to God? So right. like, how can we view God as a friend so it's just like he's always come inviting us like you said how do we see that space between us and so i got to this point now i started a podcast i don't remember what your original question was it was just (laughs) something about my eyes lighting up oh yes space between but uh, part of that is i had a very strong family unit oh that helps so much i call him a unit i talked uh, my first episode was with Miranda Powers, and we talked about it. But um, oh. it's just like thinking as ourselves as not just individuals, but as yeah. a unit. Yes. When individuals come together, you become a system, as yes. in your words, and that system has to work together in some way in order to achieve a common goal. Yeah. So, like, I've always been part of a strong family system. And so oh. I've experienced that space between going to Bethel, like the right. absence of that space between, I should say. Yeah because I wasn't around family. Yeah. And so um, the whole identity thing was mm-hmm. weird um, because like I identified with my family a lot um, yes. and like especially the way we are as a family, not yeah. necessarily just like my family members, but the way we are as a family. And so like how that space between was kind of weird. And then like mm-hmm. going back to visit, I was like, it's like I'm a different person, you know? Right. So right. just starting that, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And how far away does your family live? We're only an hour. Oh, good. Good. So you can go see them. Yes, I do. I'm planning to go see them this Thanksgiving break. Can't come fast enough, I tell (laughs) you. I believe that. You sound like a very common, normal student. By this point in time in the semester, it's like, get me out of here. I need to go home. (laughs) All right. So my next question to you is, can you describe some relationships you have? It can be anyone. It doesn't Mm -hmm. have to be like intimate. It could be just acquaintanceships. Yep. Um, why are those important to you? And do you categorize your relationships? Oh, definitely. Um, I don't know that I would um, go around saying, like, these are my official categories, but in my own mind, in my own way of being, 
there are different ways that I show up with different groups of people. Um, and I actually really enjoy that. Uh, I've got a group of girlfriends when I just need to have a fun girls' night out, which let's be real, I'm in midlife. It means we go <laughs> over to somebody's house and we have like appetizers and talk for four hours. Charcuterie uh, boards are delicious. Exactly. And beverages. And you know, it's it's good. Um, and those, uh, those relationships I find to be so helpful when... Um, I'm wanting to process what is it like being a mom right now? Um, how are people doing in their relationships with their spouses? Um, processing with some of the women as they've gone through divorces. There's that uh, space between us in that group that allows for me to just show up to the everyday questions of life and process it with other women. And I love that. But then I have another group of people that I spend time with. And um, this group of people, I... Like, I'd, I, oh, I'm going to get choked up even talking about them. They are, um, one of the other things that I've done in my lifetime is um, I've functioned as what's called a spiritual director for people, which is, it's a practice that um, sort of is more affiliated with Catholicism as opposed to Protestantism, but it's finally gaining some traction. Mm-hmm. Um, and I basically walk with people, talking with them about their spiritual journeys, what's happening in their relationship with God. And so I had been doing that um, for about eight years. And there is a group, a peer supervision group of spiritual directors that I have met with for years. And oh, Seth, talking about the space between people like when I am with that group of people, it is um, you can sense that there's something else in the room with us, uh, with how we are present to one another, attentive to one another. It's like the very essence of who each one of us is creates generous space for everybody else in the room. And um, it's like it's like something that I don't get to experience with all humans. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, that group of people brings out a very deeply personal, deeply spiritual side to me. And um, because the space feels vulnerable, it feels positive. And what was her third side of her trial? Consistent. And very consistent. And uh, we can be present to one another in ways that um, literally you can sense there is a divine presence in our midst. And I love those relationships. I, I have to be honest with you, when you've tasted those kind of relationships, um, it, it's like it's like eating the most delicious food on the planet. And then, you know, you interact with some other relationships and it's like going to McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> it's like euphoria. And it's, then it's just like, well, how do I compare that to everything else? <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, but they are incredible humans um, that I love being with. Another group of people that I'm in relationship with are the well-being faculty team. Um, I don't know that I've ever had such um, rich conversation and connection with colleagues as I have with the team that teaches well-being. Uh, we all show up. We all do our own work. We all make jokes about how our course content is inviting us into our own journey. And so um, that group of people in those relationships are rich as well. But they're different. Um, they're, it's like intellectually challenging. It's challenging on a collegiate level. And I just, I can't imagine life without them. But then I'll give you a fourth group. Um, I could go on for a while. So clearly <laughs> I do have different compartments or yes. groups. But um, the, the last one that I, I can't not highlight, and that is my family system. So I come from obviously an extended family system, but what I'm talking about right now is my nuclear family with my husband and my two children. Immediate. My immediate family, exactly. And um, I've got kids now who are adults uh, in and of themselves, and so it's a it's a completely different way of being with them than when they were little and they needed me because it was part of their growing up journey. Mm-hmm. Now it's much more of this rich connection where I've gotten to see them actually become right before my very eyes. And I'm watching them continue the process of becoming. And there is something so beautiful about being able to bear witness to a human's literal lifespan development. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that I get to journey with my husband to watch these incredible humans who 
are called my children grow up and develop has been one of the greatest gifts in my life. And that system of relationships, I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. Yeah, definitely. I think we should model the family system in the church. (laughs) Wouldn't that be lovely? (laughs) Wouldn't that be lovely? I was just, uh, first episode with Miranda, we talked about that a little bit Mm. more. It was just like, how can the church be the family for the people who are orphans or like the people who don't have a strong family unit. Yeah. And it's just like, I think that is a goal the church needs to get. (laughs) Wouldn't that be incredible? (laughs) Like if the people of God were actually the people of God Mm -hmm. that lovingly brought in everyone. And was watching them develop for a lifespan, being a mentor from a young age. Mm. And it's just like, That'd be incredible. It's like God gave us family for a reason. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) Oh, Oh. definitely, definitely. Oh, my goodness. I, too, categorize my relationships. I don't. Tell me about yours. Don't blatantly say them uh, like, oh, you're just an acquaintance. But I think it's good to do that, like, sometimes in your mind or, like, write it out. Yeah. Who should I prioritize? I mean, God, of course, but like who in my life do I need to be prioritizing? Yeah. These are the people who raised me. I need to prioritize all the effort, all the time, all the struggle, the terrible child that I was. (laughs) Seth, can I just say that every parent would love to hear that? (laughs) And their child, their adult child grow up and say, I want to prioritize the family system that I came from, the people in my family who literally raised me from birth. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know that all people think like that, Seth. Yeah, not even just parents, just like my older brothers too, you know, they were there. Right. Yeah. So yeah. for good and for bad, they for were there. For good and for bad. And trust me, there was bad. Yeah. It's a lot of It's a family. Stuff. Of course, there's going to be both <laughs> and. But that's the great thing about family. It's just like yeah. when you have such a strong, immediate family unit yeah. that you can fall back onto. Because yeah. I hear stories about families just breaking apart because yeah. of something. And right. uh, it's just like I could never imagine that oh. because our family has been through a lot. Yeah. Um, and like there have been some terrible, terrible things. Yeah. Uh, I think every family experiences terrible things, but they're never talked about. They're always Whoa. swept under the rug. And I think that's part of the problem. Yeah. But um, just like going back to that family, even through the bad things. And like, I don't know. It's just thinking about myself growing up, I took it for granted. Mm. Just like all the things that my parents did yeah. that, um, I will probably do with my children because yeah. I realized how beneficial it was for my life. Yeah. We would um, always sometimes like when something we would all get fed up or my parents would get fed up or something terrible happened or something really good happened, we would be invited and it would be very quiet, especially mm. in the very like we're super frustrated with each other, angry, like we're going to yell and scream at each other. It would be very quiet. We'd all gather in the living room, the dining room, around the table. A lot of times we'd start with a meal. Uh The meal would be very quiet. (laughs) I believe it. As everybody knows what's coming. (laughs) Here comes the conversation. So we had good food. Uh Nothing said. And then we'd go to the living room. And then it was an all-out, like, brawl. I mean, it wasn't physical. But it was a lot of, like, daggers being thrown. And what are you doing? Like, oh, my goodness. And, like, my parents would... Uh, take turns and we would all take turns and we'd healthily I think it was healthy Uh even though we saw each other at our worst I think that's very important because very vulnerable my my parents would yell at us and like be like we're so frustrated like we thought we raised you better and (laughs) like you know the the contemporary things and they always feel bad about those things and I'm like but those things need to be said because we need to hear your frustrations you're not just mother and father you're you know, displaying a kind of love that is healthy as well. Like where we have this reciprocation. It's not, you do this because I told you so. Right. And so like we just brawl, tears, anger, like, and sometimes they would last for two hours, maybe longer. And it would just get all out of our system by the end, you know, ugly cries and everything else and everything else. And then we'd all just, (sighs) and like, it was just, I feel it was such a controlled way to just, get everything out on the yeah. table. Yeah. And like, instead of just, we would bottle it up, but it would be a healthy way to release that mm-hmm. instead of like 
hitting each other or like blowing up with each other individually and not as a corporate thing. So I like thinking about that. It's just like having that healthy family unit is so important to me. Well, you guys offered each other a really great gift because in essence, what you did in those two hour conversations or brawls, as you said, (laughs) is um, you guys held mirrors up to each other and you said in essence to each other, hey, when you do this to me or when this happens between us, this is how it affects me. And, um, And in that, that's how we learn empathy. When we're actually able to hear how do we impact other humans, how are we being perceived by other humans, how do our words impact other humans, um, that is the space where we can start to go, oh my gosh, I had no idea that that's how I was affecting someone that I love, someone that I care about. And so if you think about all those family systems where they never argue, they never fight, they just go to their silent corners and retreat to their bedrooms or their phones or whatever, they never get that gift of holding up mirrors to one another so that people can see how am I impacting other humans. And actually, I'm kind of really nervous about that for humanity in general Mm -hmm. because we're in this era right now where people are either screaming at each other online, posting things, commenting things. Or in public. Or in public, exactly, (laughs) and then being videotaped on people's phones. Or the conversations aren't happening. Mm -hmm. It's this really weird, like, it's either this crazy explosive stuff or a lot of silence and people will say to me I don't want I don't want to get in a fight with anybody I don't want to have any conflict the world is always in conflict so I don't want to get into it and so there's this healthy middle space that you were talking about where people who really care about one another will speak about what's happening between them and that's where relationship real relationship can actually start to develop and be cultivated And those ties then can become so strong because you learn, wait, we can actually disagree pretty heartily Mm -hmm. and for like two hours on end. And at the end of the day, we're going to come back to connection, caring, love, kindness. And so if people don't, aren't able to get that whole feedback loop, like we're, we're upset and we're going to talk about it and we're going to come back to a space of willfully choosing love, connection, um, compassion, then how do, we, how do we know that that's going to be possible? So we have to do that full circle stuff um, in order to know that, that humans can be in relationship. Yeah, it's definitely not blindsiding people either. Right. Because oh sometimes we may bottle things up, like you said, go yeah. in our corner Oh yeah, and the the perpetrator, quote unquote. Yeah. I don't like to Big use word. that word. Yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, they were the. They're like, I don't know what I did, right. and then like you just throw them off to the side, and then they get hurt, right. and that starts a bad cycle of that could lead to loneliness, and then that could lead to chronic loneliness, and it's just like it's putting up and defense. I don't want to get close to anyone, yeah. and it could start something for the person who threw them to the side too, and it's just like, I can't, I can't do it again, you know, yeah. and it's just like. I feel that happens so often. Like you said, people are afraid to talk about it because they're afraid if they lose a relationship. Well, they're afraid of losing relationship, period. And and it's just like that happens. And it's just like we have to be, yeah, there is a space to vent to others, right, about your frustrations, but it has to be healthy. It can't turn into gossip. Yeah. Um, But a healthy, healthy place to vent to like somebody to like, got that off my chest. And then have that other person, therapist per se, uh, <laughs> be like, well, how do you think that affects them? Um, what, how, what's their thought process? Like, yeah. why do you think they're treating you this way? And it's just like that helps you not blindside the other person, yeah. especially here on Bethel's campus. Mm-hmm. Like yes. when you come to a different place and you have a roommate, can't just blindside your roommate like, that's it. I can't do this anymore. Yeah. And it's just like, what did I do? Well, what? didn't you do and it's just like well i never heard these things and you never did anything and you just blindside them and then that's just like i don't want to ever have a roommate again you know yeah but it's just definitely what you're talking about like having that healthy mirror be like i feel this way when you do this yeah um even sometimes if you don't know the language of i and you sometimes just blowing up at each other can be healthy in a controlled space where you both have boundaries it's just like okay 
I wasn't really blaming you. I was just getting my anger out. And it was just like, I'm sorry. And it's just, oh, so good. So good. Uh, well, I'm glad you've had a healthy experience of that with your family. Yes. I'm so grateful for my family. Definitely. So, all right. Uh, next question here. Tangents everywhere. But I mm. love them. I love them. Tangents are great. They are. But tangents are always attached to a circle. So I'm liking that idea there, <laughs> Seth. That's good. All right. Or some type of curve. It depends on what math you're in. <laughs> yeah, I'm not good at math. <laughs> yeah. As a family and marriage therapist, you've probably seen and listened to many issues with relationships, I'm guessing, right? Yeah. <laughs> what is one thing you often see that has to do with a breakdown of relationships? What causes people to start to have issues with the ones they love? Hmm. So often people have issues with the ones that they love because something was misunderstood. And then that misunderstanding snowballed into assumptions, snowballed into judgments, snowballed into a lot of other things. Um, I mean, if you think about it, families, um, any type of relationship, somebody could look at you weird. And all of a sudden it's like, oh my gosh, I don't understand why they looked at me like that, but now I'm assuming this and I'm judging that and now things are a train wreck between us. And it, what's sad to me is that even sometimes the smallest of things can set us off in a trajectory that are, is not helpful. Just the other day, um, my daughter and I had gotten into a conversation with one another where her tone of voice shifted in the midst of the conversation. And the first thing that I then said as soon as her tone of voice shifted was, are you mad at me? And she goes, why do you always say that? And all of a sudden, she was actually mad. And she goes, mom, I wasn't mad before you asked me if I was mad. And I said, okay, wait, wait, wait. Help me understand what just happened here. And she goes, I just love the wisdom of her. She is just stunning. She goes, mom, even in your question I know that you asked the question to try and understand me, but your question was laced with assumptions. The assumption was that you thought that I was upset with you or mad at you, when in reality, my tone of voice changed and it had nothing to do with anger. But now I am angry because you frequently, mom, jump to conclusions that if my tone changes, I'm changing to anger or being upset. And we had a beautiful, rich conversation after that where she was able to coach me on how could I check in with her in a way that wouldn't be laden with assumptions or judgments about her interior state where then she could stay a little bit more open mm -hmm. and wouldn't get mad at me um, in the midst of this. So um, it was a great thing, but it all started because of a misunderstanding. Now, I do have to also say I've seen a lot of relationships break because or have complexity in them because of, um, uh, in all honesty, it would be because of selfishness, mm -hmm. that there is this desire to please oneself, soothe oneself, tend to oneself over and above the people around them. And so um, usually we don't couldn't like name it selfishness. Uh, and in fact, I, there's connotation a, there that gets people into defensive state. It does. <laughs> it really does. But really what it is, is a relationship starts to disintegrate because one person values themselves over the other people to the exclusion of the other people. And then it's real easy to get to a point where you, re where you uh, don't recognize how you're harming the people around you. So selfishness, can be a thing that actually um, will disintegrate relationship. Uh, to be perfectly honest, another thing that I've seen disintegrate relationship between people is when um, people, I it, the word that I want to use is soothe. And so when mm -hmm. people want to be soothed and, uh, and they're recognizing I only want another human as long as they're going to soothe me, and the second this person no longer soothes me, I'm going to go find somebody else or some other relationship that's soothing to who I am. Because why would I want to put in all this work uh, when what I really want is I really want to be soothed. 
But that actually is just an extension of selfishness um, because Mm -hmm. it's a really selfish thing to only want to be soothed or tended to in relationship and not have that be reciprocal. Mm. So your question, I honestly, we could probably talk for four or five hours (laughs) about this, but those are some of the first. There we go. (laughs) What actually disintegrates relationships? um, Misunderstanding, selfishness, the desire for soothing. And when people are no longer soothing... The I'm going to get rid of those relationships mm. because I don't want to have to invest in them. Mm. Those are three things that come to mind just off the top of my head. Oh, we could lay, uh, <laughs> link that back to Shasta, Shasta Nelson's Frantimacy Triangle. Oh, yes. And then I love Aristotle because he wrote you know a book on this, uh, one of his ethics books. But it's just like, you know, you're talking about this selfish relationship. Um, or like soothing relationship. And it just goes back to Aristotle's um, belief that there are three different types. You know, we talked about friendship of virtue. You know, like that's not selfish. You're just longing to help the other person and they're longing to help you. Um, But he also has friendship of utility, which Mm. sounds harsh. Yeah. It's very harsh, but he says they're also good, which is a whole nother story. Well, and they function. They function. Yeah. We have them for reasons. Yep. I scratch my back, you scratch yours, and they have functions. And all the uh, the other two, you know, friendship of utility can build into a friendship of virtue, you yeah. know. And then the other one is friendship of pleasure, mm, like yep. the soothing you were yes. saying. So it's like selfish yes. and soothing. And it's just like as soon as that person stops being this. Yeah. I'm done with them. I'm done with them. You know, yeah. like once the class clown stops being a class clown. Never mind. Never I don't mind. want them anymore. Don't yeah. want them anymore. It's just like uh, th- there's pitfalls to every relationship. But Aristotle, he described those as like they seem harsh. Yeah. But in reality, we all need those relationships too. We can't just have 100% virtue relationships because that would take so much, how much energy. energy. <laughs> that would be a whole yes. bunch of energy. So it's good to have those, but it's also good to understand and respect those yeah. yes. to a point as well. Yeah. So I think what you're saying, the breakdown of certain relationships is not also respecting yeah. um, those other two relationships as well. Totally. So, oh, such good stuff. I'm definitely <laughs> going to have to invite you back. Oh, my goodness. I could talk about relationships all for a long time, Seth. <laughs> as could I. And that's why I started this podcast because... We could talk indefinitely, theoretically. Yes. So I'm going to segue into how we talk about these relationships and God. I love it. Um, So my first question is, what comes to mind when you envision a relationship with God? And is Mm. it anything like your earthly relationships? Mm. Well, in many respects, yeah. I actually personally think a relationship with God has several similarities. For example, I actually do believe that I'm going to say interconnection with divine presence. I hope that doesn't trip you up at all. But no. for me, that that fits better. Um, interconnection with divine presence is really similar to some of my human relationships in that it actually, it needs intentionality. Mm-hmm. It actually needs a desire or a, like a longing to be in the presence of divine presence. There needs to be this like... Um, I'm saying yes to this. I'm going to open up my being to divine presence, to God, and I am going to listen. I'm not just going to talk. I mean, can you imagine if all, in our human relationships, if people only talked to us and they never listened to us? Yeah. Yeah. I, well, uh, actually, I've had several the, people like that in my life. That gets sort of the, uh, what is it, to be known part of knowing. Right, exactly. Oh, my goodness. So there has to be this, like, I'm going to listen as well as um, I'm going to speak. I'm going to try and know, and I'm going to try and allow myself to be known. That allowing oneself to be known by divine presence can be literally... um, like scathing is the word that comes to me. Like if you are truly that vulnerable, if a human is really that vulnerable with God, that they are allowing themselves to be known. They're not hiding. They're not protecting. They're not doing a lot of like, God, I don't want you to see me in my realness. Um, But they're allowing themselves to be known and be vulnerable. That's 
that is, I think, a hallmark of actually being with God in an authentic way. And um, there's a lot of people that run screaming from that. They don't want to be known authentically by God. But for me, honestly, I have rhythms with God, rhythms with divine presence that are daily, a yearly um, rhythms and everything in between. Um, but part of my daily rhythm is literally to sit in God's presence, which, I mean, God is with us all the time, but when I say sit in God's presence, I am intentionally trying to be aware of God's presence, which is a different form of consciousness and alertness. And when I'm sitting in divine presence, trying to be aware of divine presence, um, and I can actually be truthful about what's happening inside of me, um, and bring that to the interaction with God, that is is honestly sometimes one of the most um, solidifying experiences of divine presence and connection and relationship with God. Um, so your question was, uh, you know, are there any similarities between uh, relationship with God and relationship with people? So Time, intentionality, willingness, desire, proximity, knowing, being known, like all of these things are things that I actually think we can encounter and experience with God. Um, but I'll be honest, the most truly shaping things that have influenced relationship with God has been when, um, I mean, technically I'm engaging spiritual disciplines like silence and solitude and whatnot, but often in the quiet, there are things that are seen and there are things that are experienced that um, in the everydayness of life, when I'm moving too quickly, I can miss those things. But when I'm quiet and still, oh, God makes God's self known. Those are rich times. How are you doing over there? <laughs> You're looking at me like I've grown a second no, head. No, I was just like letting it be quiet for dramatic effect. Oh, I love it. Good, good, good. But uh, yeah, oh, that's what, what do you think? Teaching and well-being again. Here we go. Spiritual <laughs> Here we disciplines. Go. I know I, you can't get away from it. Sorry, you can't. Not on Bethel's campus, at least. Oh. But it's so good. It's so good. So, what do you think though about relationship with divine presence with God? Is oh, that gosh. possible? And if so, what facilitates that? Oh, my goodness. Like you said, uh, see, I have focused so long on relationships with others and just like pursuing those. But I need to also pursue my relationship with God, like you said. So when it comes to envisioning a relationship with God, I feel it is very much like our relationships with that virtuous friend, that intimate friend, that person you can go to no matter what. He's your therapist. He's your best friend. He's your father. He's your whatever. He's just like all of it. It's all good. Um, but oh. it's just like getting that tangible, mm -hmm. like bringing it back to that whole idea of being tangible. It's so easy oh, to take for granted um, and not see as gifted. Which is going to be a later later episode. Oh, spoiler alert! I love uh, it. Granted versus gifted, yeah. and it's just like taking those words: what's granted mm -hmm. to us and what's gifted to us, and like yeah. imagining what life would be like without the things we take for granted. I mm -hmm. think is a good spiritual discipline. Mm -hmm. I always hear about the gratitude journal, but I think opposite. I think gifted journal you know like oh, take away more. take away the things that you take for granted mm -hmm. and see them as gifted oh. i think it's such a good spiritual discipline and sometimes it like sometimes i get really deep into it like my relationship with my mom and it's mm -hmm. just like that was gone like it's so morbid to think about like you know oh. but it's a memento mori you know like we're all mortal and just like keeping that memento mori oh just like oh sometimes it gets like you know oh the waterworks going oh, but it's sure. just like but it helps you so... realize how much she means to you yeah and it's just like with my father with my brothers and it's just like all those things that we take for granted yeah. i just like that's a spiritual discipline that i dive into get rid of something how would my life be different 
and try to think about it and just realize how important that is. Yeah. Oh, I love it. And I think that's with God, too. I need to do it more with God. I'm always focused on, like, the tangible because that's just the way I am. But that's why I started this podcast, Mm. bringing the intangible and making it tangible. Tangible. Giving words to an amazing being that is God and just like understanding him. So go back, going back to the question tangent um, of like envisioning a relationship with God. I feel it's just how do I pursue relationships on earth? That's how I need to pursue relationships Mm. with God. Yeah. I don't think it's inappropriate in any way to anthropomorphize God or like personify him in a way where I need to view him as someone that I absolutely love and can go to and like be vulnerable with. Yeah. And invest in and invest. the connection mm-hmm. with God. A lot of people don't recognize the gift of um, what will happen when you invest mm-hmm. in connection with God and God's presence. And so um, they just want God to just be present and show them and show up and guide and take it for granted. Exactly. When we pray, we take it for granted. You know, it's just like trying to change that mindset for me is very hard. Oh, yeah. Especially being raised in the church. Yeah. You especially take it for granted. You hear people's testimonies who weren't raised in the church and you're like, oh, so powerful. And they keep those relationships forever. I think we need to have those moments in the church. Even if you're raised in the church, you need to have those, I was lost, but now I'm found moments. And not in the cheesy church way that everyone does it. It's like this, oh, when you just hear powerful testimonies, and just like, I want that. Yeah. But I've been raised in the church, so I can't have that. Getting rid of that thought, I think, is very important to understanding relationship with God. Just like, take away, take it away and see what happens. Yeah. You know, so, oh. So good. <laughs> it is so good. It is so good. Oh, my goodness. Oh, we got a little bit more time left, so I'm going to ask a couple more questions. That but, sounds um, great. And then uh, <laughs> I got to be real with you. I have a ride coming to pick me up because we're sharing cars in our family system. So I All can right. stay for a couple more questions. All right. All right. So got two more questions for you. Awesome. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? Oh, man. You know, let's just throw <laughs> just out a nice loaded. lightweight question uh, here right at the end. Right we might only have end. time for one question. So uh, the, just keep it short and simple. Oh, to be made in the Imago Day. For me, when I think about what does it mean to be created in the Imago Day, it means that I'm created in the context of relationship, for relationship, to be part of a group that co-labors and co-creates. The image of God for me is all about something that is life-giving and generative. And to think that humans could potentially bear witness, somehow provide a glimpse of that generative, life-giving, relational existence, like it's stunning to me that God would even want us to bear God's image in this world. And uh, you can tell I'm getting choked up because I feel like so many times I'm not going to say others. I'll just say for me, I do not bear God's image. I do not embody Imago Dei the way um, that I think I've been created to. And um, that makes me sad. And unfortunately, I'm not the only one that doesn't bear Imago Day on a consistent basis. But Seth, I wonder how different the world would look if we actually all did bear the image of God consistently. Be heaven on earth. <laughs> It'd be amazing. It would be so It good. would be amazing. Yeah. So, Like you said, made in relationship for relationships. Um, I love that yeah. because God is three in one. Right. And he said, let us make man in our image. Yeah. You know, I love that translation. Oh I don't know goodness. if it's ESV or NIV or whatever it is, but like in our image, I think it's such an important like we connection. Exactly. If he's in relationship with himself, right? we need to be in relationship with ourselves and others. And it's so important. That's why I started the podcast. I love it. You <laughs> have right. a good Trinitarian theology supporting you. Here. Uh, yes. <laughs> Trinity is a complicated thing. <laughs> 
We won't get into it. There That's a theology go. question. It <laughs> is. All right. Last question. Yes. Here we go. All right. Bring it. There's one thing you have learned from a lifetime that you've mm. lived thus far that helps you envision God and your relationship with him. What is it? I know exactly what it is, and I'm trying not to cry. Um, there is a stream of water that flows beneath the surface. That, If only we all, we all had eyes to see this life force that literally <laughs> is supporting, sustaining, renewing everything. And when I think about my relationship with God, I think about what is it like to be immersed in that river, to be immersed in that life force, to be immersed in with God's spirit and allowing that river to form and shape me and take me on a journey. And I'm, I am literally co-creating, co-laboring, uh, engaging with this river. And... Um, when I think about God and God's love, it is always there to sustain and provide um, that which we need. But I don't always go into the river. I don't always enjoy the river. I don't always immerse myself in the river. And in those times, I've noticed that relationship has felt very distant between God and I. But when I remember that there is a stream of life flowing beneath the surface, we just need eyes to see and the choice to step in. Man, it changes everything for me. I don't know if I answered your question. That's perfect. Good. It's a great way to end it. Wonderful. <laughs> Seth, how fun was this? It Being was able to great. talk with you. This was so great. Man, an hour went by just like in a blink of an eye. Yeah, so fast. And actually, to be honest, I just want to name the gift that you're providing. You are creating a space for people to be able to come together in a form of relationship where they are able to speak with one another and co-create something together in the midst of this podcast. And I just want to say thank you for that. Thanks for this opportunity to be with you tonight and to talk about these things. You're welcome. I'll definitely send you another invite because we could talk forever. We really could, Seth. Thanks so much. I hope you <laughs> have a great you. rest of the night. Well, uh, I would like to thank our guest tonight, Dr. Christine Osgood. She is a wonderful person. If you ever meet her in real life, you'll know her smile is contagious. <laughs> okay. Good, good, good. Thanks, All Seth. Right. Thank you again. Have a great night. You too.